Good morning. You're the remnant. <laughs> Either you've been sick or you're going to get sick. <laughs> I wasn't sure I should come here or not, you know. <laughs> but I figured I'm going to glory, so let's go for it, man. Um, no, it is a great privilege to be here. Uh, Nick contacted me, of course, um, very humbly, and I said, I'm very glad. As, as often as I can help and be here, I'm very willing to be here. So thank you for your hospitality and allowing me to come here. And so I kind of wrestled with what I would bring. There's always, you know, I preach in a couple hours, so why don't you just bring that? And it's like, well, I don't know. It's kind of been a sequence. And then I had other ideas. So I landed with what I'm going to preach in a couple hours. So... <laughs> If it's a little, you jumping in midstream, that's just how it is, right? I trust God will do his thing anyway. And so we're working through the book of Ephesians. We've made it to chapter 5. And so I would ask you, please, to take your copy of the inerrant word of God and turn to Ephesians chapter 5. Now, it's one of the great privileges, if not the greatest privilege... And greatest blessing, if you will. Hey, there's Brother Ed. I just saw Ed back there. Hello, brother. That just was a nice visual. Thank you. Um, um, Where am I? Ephesians 5. Um, It's one of the great blessings and great privileges of ours to be called a child of God. It's one of the greatest privileges we have. And in 1 John 3, 1, I just remind you, Right. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Paul wrote in Galatians 3.26 that for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Believers then, as you know, are uniquely from all the rest of the world, the children of God, the family of God. In the creative sense, God is the father of all people in that he's creator. But in a very unique, special way, he is the father of the chosen. He's the father of the elect. He's the father of those who believe in a filial way, a family way. Just as these families here, you're, you're to love your neighbor, but you have a special love for your wife and children. It's the same kind of idea. So the, the believer has a very unique relationship to the God of the universe. We are his family. We are his children. It's one of our greatest privileges. In fact, John 1.12 says, But as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right, the, the authority, to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. In Ephesians 1, 4, and 5, it says, In love He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. All those to say is that God is our Father. Jesus is said to be not only our Lord, but our brother. And it is true then, as in any other family, there are family traits, family distinctives, if you will. There's physical characteristics in our family, in your family. You can clearly see them by our eyes, our hair color, the shape of our nose. There's physical characteristics, body types, facial expressions, 
the sound of one's voice. Some of you know my boy Joe. We get on the phone and people can't tell if it's me or him. And, it's, you know, we don't practice that. That's just how it is. You know, and so it is with families, right? There's, there's characteristics that are true with families. And that's true in God's family. But even more important than the DNA, if you will, is the pattern that is in a family. In other words, examples. Parents have great influence over their children, of course, and fathers in particular, but not exclusively, obviously. But one of the things that's taught in a family is attitudes toward anything. Right? Your attitude will be transferred to your children because they watch you and they see. Work ethic, they see that. You instill that. You impress them. How you treat others, family, friends, and neighbors, enemies. All of that in a family, you see. The parents have such an immense influence over the children. And as we know, young children are so very impressive. They're like soft clay. They watch carefully and they copy. Good or bad. <laughs> yes, that's my kid. <laughs> how do I know? Because he's sinning like I do. <laughs> right? That's how I know. You know how I know that I'm a sinner other than Scripture tells me? Because I look at my children. Because <laughs> like begets like. Right? So families have traits. Families also instill attitudes, impressions, if you will. When a father is teaching a child, don't we say something like this? Now watch me. Watch me do this. And now you do the same. And so the child is to emulate. The child is to... To follow and do as the Father says. And so it is with Christianity. For the children of God, they are to watch and to listen and to do just as the Father does. You see. How to live for God is to follow in His steps. How to live for God's glory is to follow in His steps. To do as He does, to do as He did. And that brings us to our text in Ephesians 5. 1 through 5. The apostle is calling the Christians in Ephesus to copy God. Verses 1 and 2. And verses 3 through 5 simply is don't copy the world. Copy God, but don't copy the world. In verses 1 and 2, we might say how to copy God and why. In verses 3 through 4 is how not to copy the world. And then verse 5 would answer why. So we have a how and a why in both of these broad terms. How to copy God and why and how to not copy the world and why. I'm pretty simple and that's as simple as I can get. So then if you look at Ephesians 5 and verse 1 through 5, you will notice that it is in a broader context. Again, we're jumping in midstream here. But the Apostle Paul has been addressing since Chapter 4, verse 17, this walk. No longer are we to walk as we once did before we were believers. That's 417. He's in verse 24, which is the hinge verse of this broader section, which goes all the way to chapter 6, verse 9. He's talking about new creatures. He's talking about the miracle of regeneration and the miracle of transformation. True Christianity is a religion, if you'll let me use that term, of power. 
Right? It's the power of God in the soul of a person. And that power transforms that person from one creature into a brand new creature. That's verse 24. Recreated in the likeness of God. Recreated in His image, Colossians 3.10 would say. If you are born again, you have experienced the transforming, regenerating, changing power of God. He's made you a new you. That's verse 24 and that's the hinge. The commands that follow in verse 24 all the way to 6-9 are the expression of your new person. The new person no longer does verse 25 lying, but now speaks truth. And it works its way down. The new you, coming to chapter 5, verse 1 through 5, the new you now is being called to imitate God. Isn't that amazing? Imitate God. You know what? You can. Because you're a new you. And you aren't dwelt by the third person of the Trinity. There is no excuse for the Christian to disobey any command of God. It's by grace, but you are to work it out. Isn't that exhilarating? We can do this in the power of God. And the new creation will express this. So let's read verses 1 through 5. Together, or you can just follow along. Look at what the Word of God says in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave Himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be... Be no filthiness in silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Verse 5. For this we know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Now again, I remind you, we break this down. Verses 1 and 2 is how to imitate God and why. Verses 3, 4, and 5 is how, how, what, how to not follow the world, and why. Look at verse 1. We pick it up there. He calls the believer in verse 1 to imitate God, but before he does, therefore is mentioned. And therefore obviously points you backwards. A very important word in, in, in context as you read through any epistle of Paul, and therefore grammatically points you backwards. It points us backwards. The reader must go up at least a verse. And to go up a verse in verse 32, notice what he says. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. The new you has the desire and ability, not in perfection, but certainly direction, to carry out these commands. In verse 32 is to be kind, to be tenderhearted no longer harsh, and to forgive each other. And the pattern of forgiveness is shown in verse 32, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. What a, what a calling. What a charge. How has God forgiven you? Reluctantly? Stingily? He hates to, but doggone it, he's put himself under that obligation and he's got to forgive you. But he wished he could. Is that how God forgives? Or is it free? In the sense, 
He lavishes affection. He lavishes forgiveness on you. Because Christ Jesus has freely gone to pay the payment. So this is what the therefore is. Therefore, as a result of calling us to forgive in the manner that God has forgiven you, Christ, he goes on to verse 1 and says, Now become, be imitators of God. This is not just in forgiving being imitators of God, but our entire life is to fall under this broad umbrella of imitating God. Just like a little kid imitates Papa, we are to imitate God. The word imitate is a great word. It's a great New Testament word. We get our English word mimic from this. Mimites. It is to follow as a model. It is to copy someone's speech or, or mannerism. It is to imitate them. It is to mimic them. Okay? The New Testament, in different places, exhorts the believer in, first, in 3 John 11, do not imitate what is evil. Don't mimic what is evil. In Hebrews 13.7, the word mimic is used. Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, listen, imitate their faith. Watch them, how they carry out and navigate the trials of the world, and then copy their faith. Copy their life. In Hebrews 6.12, it says, don't be sluggish, my paraphrase, but be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It's just part of being a Christian, isn't it? Is to, it's part of discipleship, is to mimic. We, 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 we see people that we, that we like, we like how they live, and we follow. This word imitation, then, is to imitate God. The Apostle Paul said to both the Corinthians and the Thessalonians, that they should be imitators not only of Him, but of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that something? When Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, be imitators of me as I imitate Him. Wow. Here in our text is the only place in the Bible where it's explicitly said to be imitators of God. This is the highest duty of all humanity, is it not? To imitate God. That was Adam's charge in the garden. Made in the image of the Creator, he was to imitate, he was to reflect the Creator, but he chose to rebel. We have been recreated, beloved, by God's grace and power to imitate Him. We not only possess His nature, we have a new nature, Second Peter. We've been recreated in His image, Ephesians 4.24, Colossians 3.10. We are commanded to copy Him. We are indwelt by the Spirit of God. We can copy Him. We're commanded to. Listen to other phrases that are stunning. Matthew 5.48 says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a pattern. 1 Peter 1.16, quoting Leviticus 11, Be holy, for I am holy. 
pattern, you see. Luke 6.36 is becoming more and more one of my favorite simple verses. Listen to it. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. You see, he's the pattern. We watch carefully and then we emulate and we pattern ourselves after him. So we would ask the question, right? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? How are we to copy him in verse 1 of chapter 5? Look at what it says. As beloved children. Since I'm fixated on words, forgive me if I'm just so oversimplified things. The grammar is life. Grammar, because God expresses himself on the written page, therefore grammar matters. Syntax is life. As beloved children. That little simile means in this way, in this manner. Here's the, here's the how you are to imitate God as beloved children. As beloved children would imitate their father, so you as beloved children are to imitate God. Isn't that cool? He could say just children, and it would make sense to us, wouldn't it? Just children. Oh yeah, I know what you mean by that. But he adds the adjective beloved. To drive the point home even deeper. To emphasize it even more. In the same manner, a little kid who knows that they are loved by their father. Copy dad. Isn't it the kid who knows that they are loved by papa? Who is most urgent to want to follow in papa's steps? Instead of the kid who is pushed away and neglected and overseen and abused. That kid doesn't want anything to do with his daddy. But what about the kid who the father lavishes affection on? Including discipline. But it's gracious, God-like discipline. And it's gifts of kindness. Doesn't that kid want to follow Papa? My dad was brutal. But I loved him. (laughs) Right? He was a rank pagan, but I loved him, man. And I wanted to be just like him. Sure glad I didn't turn out that way. (laughs) But you know what I mean? So he says, as beloved children, as children who, who know that they are recipients of affection, follow dad. Follow God. Wow. Follow God in this manner. You see, the kid does monkey see, monkey do, you know. They are keen observers. They learn and they speak and they act from watching and so do we. So, the, so to the believer then, we must be keen observers of God in order to emulate Him, right? How do you know what to follow? How do you know what to pattern to, to put your steps? How do you know you are emulating God? That's a fair enough question, isn't it? Man, that's a good one. Let's, let's get a group together and take some surveys. No, how about open our Bible and see what God says? Here's what God says. This is what God is like, and this is how we are to emulate Him. Verse 32 gave us a real good example. Forgive just as God in Christ has forgiven you. There's one place. Emulate God. Be, you, Arthur would say, rightly, you are most like God when you forgive. What a great statement. I believe that. You and I are the most honest, most clear reflection imitation 
of our invisible God when we forgive. Wow. But he goes on here. Look at what he says in verse 2. He follows with this command in verse 2, with, which is a further expression, a further um, detail of how to imitate God. He, he bores down here, verse 2, walk in love. This is how you will imitate God as beloved children. Walk in love. Walk is, he's been using this term since 417. It is, it is daily routine. Step after step. Just the conduct of life. He says in verse 2, how you emulate God, how you imitate, is that you conduct your life in, that's like being immersed in, it's in the sphere of love. It is characterized, it's in the tenor of love, okay? Our life is conducted in agape. This is amazing. Those beloved children, they realize, get this, they realize the affection that the Father has for them. Isn't it the Spirit in Romans 8 who convinces you that you are children of God? It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, Romans 8, 16, to convince you in the depth of your soul that the Father loves you immensely and eternally. Isn't that true? Do you doubt His affection? Do you doubt His affection? I hope not. It's the Spirit's work, not the preacher's, to convince the Christian of the depth and the breadth and the height of the love of Christ. Amen? The preacher directs you to what God says, and then the Spirit deals with you. And as you realize the depth and the breadth and the height of the love of God for you, a rank pagan, or no, rank sinner, used to be pagan, right? That then leads to walking in love. Do you see? The ones who understand the depth of the love that God has for them are the only ones who can carry that out horizontally. To the extent you understand God's love, that's to the extent that you extend love to other people. As you understand, verse 32, how much you've been forgiven of, are you going to tell me you're going to be stingy in forgiveness? No. To the extent you understand the gospel, to the extent you understand the grace of God and your forgiveness, is how you will treat other people. And this is to copy God. Who's your daddy? Do you show forth the family characteristics? This is what this text is saying. The new man will show forth that they belong to the family of God. And how do they show it? Walking in love, 5-2. He goes, so he doesn't leave it up to us to define and to explain what love is. Because we could take a, we could ask everyone here to write something down. We'd probably come up with however many people's here different views of what love is. We'd have some crossover, but there's some things we all think is love that might not be love. What does God say? The one who is love, 1 John, what does he say that love is that we're to follow? Look at what he says. Just as, verse 2, 
The pattern of love or how we are to love, which is to imitate God, is to look to the cross of Christ and to see specifically what was the details of his love. Just as Christ also loved you, you could put us, and he goes further to bore down even further. Notice, how did Christ love? He gave himself up for us. The, the, the term gave is to deliver over. Like when a, a, a prisoner is being transported and he's delivered over. We had a prisoner guy, right? Pr- prisoner transfer. That's, this word is used often in the transfer of prisoners and they hand them over to the guards. That's this very same word right here in verse 2. When, when Christ noticed he was not handed over, it says himself. He gave Himself over. That phrase is used throughout the New Testament as it refers to the death of Jesus Christ. He volitionally, voluntarily gave Himself over. He handed Himself over to the earthly authorities to be crucified. This text is saying, and others as well, that that is an expression of the love of Christ for you. And that's the love you're to follow. That's the love you're to pattern. And that's how you imitate God. That's how you imitate God. It's incredible. Again, isn't it amazing how we see again the New Testament calls the believer to focus on the cross. And he's in a context of imitating God. He's in a context of, of, of purity and holiness. Because the next verses get kind of dirty. What is it that moves the believer to pursue holiness? Is the cross of Christ. Because as you study the cross of Christ, you know that that hang there is up there willingly, volitionally, And gave himself up. They didn't have to wrestle him to the ground. He went here, put the nails there. Out of love. Out of love for the Father and love for sin. So then we say, this is a self-sacrificial love. This 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 is a love that dies to self. In following in the steps of Christ. Now think of this. This is just so amazing. This love is that. Isn't this what Jesus says? By this all men will know that you're my disciple. If you have love for one another. And the love that we're to follow is the self-sacrificial love of Christ. Shown on the cross. Think of this century. Most Christians cannot read in the first century. Slaves, very few slaves could read. Most Christians were illiterate. How are they they to grow in sanctification? That's why the cross is central. Look to the cross. Look to the cross. And remember the gospel. Christ in Him crucified. John says, 
the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. In that same chapter 10, John says, or Jesus says, they did not take my life from me, but I laid it down according to my own initiative. The voluntary self-sacrifice of Christ when He laid His life down for our sins is what we are to follow if we're going to imitate God. Now I'm hammering this because it's worth hammering. I hope the trail gets dusty. You know what I mean? The trail gets dusty because it's well used. (laughs) I hope we're not too sophisticated for the gospel. I need to move on, get off into the other, other details of theology. Well, theology is wonderful, and I love that. But I love this. Because this is the love of God for dirty, wretched sinners. And we're to follow suit. And look at what else it says in verse 2 about the sacrifice of Christ. And I look at the rest of the verse in 2. It says... That this, he gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Now you have to ask yourself, why is Paul going to such detail? He doesn't have to add this to get the point across, I would ask myself. He says there again, notice, that when Christ gave himself up, it was first an offering and a sacrifice. Now, of course, that language comes from Levitical law in Leviticus and how the Jew was to bring an offering and a sacrifice to the to the tabernacle, to the temple in order for them to be accepted in the presence of God, in order for them to be accepted by Yahweh. They had to bring an acceptable offering. Paul is emphasizing that the death of Christ was an offering and a bloody sacrifice To God, not to Satan. He's appeasing God, not the devil. (laughs) And look at the last phrase of verse 2, if your NAF is like mine. Translation. What is the goal or what is the purpose of Jesus' sacrifice? Do you see it there? As a fragrant aroma. Why does he add that? That phrase is used throughout the, the sacrificial system. It's sprinkled through the New Testament. Not that God likes the smell of burning flesh and burning hair. Anybody here ever branded a cow? Or branded a horse or anything? I didn't think so. But it stinks, man. It stinks. Burning hair. Ladies with a, those things in their head that get hot, you know. Whatever that's called. But hair curly or straight. Depends how you use it. Right? How do it know it? That's crazy. Um, it's a stench. It stinks. But God says the sacrifice of the acceptable animal is a sweet-smelling aroma. What is he emphasizing? That it pleases God. The goal here, as a fragrant sacrifice speaks to, the, the grammar here speaks to the, tel- the end. The giving up of himself was a sacrifice. And the purpose of the sacrifice, according to this, 
was to be a sweet-smelling aroma to God. And the emphasis is that his sacrifice was well-pleasing. It pleased the Father. Now get this. He goes to such detail after he's asked us or commanded us to do likewise. Do you see what I'm getting at? What Paul's getting at, he's pointing to such detail because he wants you and I to pay attention so that we follow suit. In other words, you and I can lay down our lives for the brethren. 1 John 3, 16 and 17 says so. Lay down your life for the brethren and it pleases God. That's the why. We are to imitate God by following Christ's love and why we should imitate God in a self-sacrifice Christ kind of love for others is that it pleases God. A sweet-smelling aroma. Isn't that cool? Isn't it the heart of every believer to want to please their father? Because you are so dearly loved, isn't it in your heart to want to please death? Of course it is. This is what he says. This is what pleases daddy. Imitate by following the love of Christ. By laying down your life for the sake of the brethren. Since I, since I quoted or mentioned it, let me read to you 1 John 3.16. Listen to what it says. We know love by this, 3.16, 1 John, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Ought is the word obligation. Because of what Christ did, we're obligated to do likewise. Isn't that amazing that we can? Now we're not we're not redeeming anybody. We're not we're not total redemptress, you know, we'll leave that to other groups. But we are to emulate God by living like Christ. And maybe even add this and dying like Christ. Our love should be to the extent that if it has to, it's willing to die. That's the point. That's how they will know that you belong to God. Isn't that amazing? Verse, verse 17, if that's too radical, listen to verse 17. It gets really practical. I heard you got a lot of sick people here. Verse 17 says it like this. But whoever has the world's good and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in? See, that there's, there's a practical, maybe not so radical view, right, of following in the steps of Christ in a sacrificial die to self is that I am willing to give my goods to help someone in need. This is how to follow God. Go back to Ephesians if you went away. But look at what it says here. The command to imitate God is further express in walking in love and the love we're called to walk in is to follow in the steps of Christ and his giving up of himself. This is pleasing to God. It's a fragrant aroma. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Now from that positive, he moves on into verses three and four. And we'll go quickly through here. But this is followed by do not imitate the world. Because look what it says. But in contrast. This is just the opposite of the self-sacrificial love of Christ. And he uses these filthy terms here that speak of sexual immorality. 
The word immorality in verse 3 is the word porneia, where we get pornography from. It's not exclusively mentioning what we think of pornography here, but this is the Greek term porneia, immorality. And it's any version of unsanctioned sexual sin. Anything God says don't do in the sexual arena, this is what that word applies to. He goes on to move on into verse 3. He goes, or any impurities. Not only sexual immoralities, but any moral uncleanness is the idea. And these vices are that which characterize the unregenerate world, you see, that we've been saved out of. That's why the question is, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? He goes on, look, at the third one is greed. Selfish, insatiable need or desire for more. And in the context, it has to do with sexual sin. This is all the illicit stuff that goes on around the world. That most of us want to turn our backs to or don't want to pay attention because it's so heart-wrenching. But the world is characterized by this insatiable lust for more. That's why pornography is one of the highest money-making vices in the world. It's the nature of the fallen man, is it not? Greed. Greed. So he says in verse 3, but immorality, sexual immoralities, any kind of impurity, uncleanness, greed, a sensational desire for more. Notice what he says here. Must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. What he says there is... Obvious, right? These sins of self-indulgence are not fitting for those who are saints. It's incompatible. Does that make sense? It's incompatible. Why does he use saint there? Saint means holy one. Do you know, and I know you do, but in case you don't, at the moment the Spirit of God set you apart and granted you repentance and faith in Christ, you were positionally a saint, a holy one. Set apart from the world, set apart unto God for His possession, for His service. Every born-again person is a saint. And a saint has been set apart by God for God. That's why he says it is unfitting, it is not Compatible for those who have been set apart from sin to continue in this way. That's what he's saying. And remember, this is in the context of the new you. You who have been regenerated and transformed, you no longer are of this disposition. It's not fitting. It's not proper. Was your family like mine when my dad used to say to me, Hey, when you go out tonight, you just remember what your last name is. I got the same one, so don't do anything stupid. That's what he used to say to me, all right? That's kind of the same idea. You belong to God. It's not fitting to live like this. He goes on. Those are actions, if you will. 
Look at verse 4. He goes to the tongue, which obviously is the overflow of the heart. Verse 4, and there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, same phrase, but rather the giving of thanks. Filthiness is the, 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 the word for obscenities. Obscenities are not proper for the saint. Silly talk is, is two words together, and the front word is where we get our word moron from. <laughs> right? Moronic talk. Silly, stupid talk. Like much that goes on on the airwaves. You know, it's just stupid. Coarse jesting. Obviously, his words, but the word coarse, as it sounds, right, has to do with rough or harsh or rude or vulgar. Someone said it's like locker room talk for you guys who played sports. The not so glorious tongue of a locker room. That's what he's saying here. The, the, the fallen world is characterized by these wonderful characteristics. They act unclean and they speak unclean because their heart is unclean. At the end of verse 4, he says, notice, strong contrast, that our words, the words that are fitting for saints is the giving of thanks. And it seems kind of out of place in this list of things. Why does Paul add this here? Why is this even here? This is interesting. Well, that context of which he's just saying, right, does it not characterize self-indulgence, selfishness, pride? But the giving of thanks comes from a heart of submission, isn't it? When you're thankful to God for all things, are you not yielded to the sovereignty of God? So he's saying here, in contrast to this worldly arrogance and filth, the saint is to be characterized by this humble submission and reliance and trust in God which is expressed in the giving of things. That's fitting words for the child of God. So what we're to follow thus far is be imitators of God, further defined by Christ and His love on the cross, being self-sacrificial and willing and that was to please God, we can then follow suit by laying ourselves down for the good of others, emulating Christ. We're no longer to emulate the world, verses 3 and 4, in our actions and in our speech. And our speech is to be governed by thankfulness. The reason we are to lay our lives down in verse 1 and 2 is for the sweet-smelling aroma, the pleasing of God. The reason Paul gives for not following the world is verse 5. Look at this. Why should we not follow evil and copy the world? Verse 5 says, For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Wow. Wow. Notice the parallel. Verse 3 is verbs. Verse 5 are nouns. Immorality, immoral. Impurity, impure. 
Verse 5 says covetous man. That's the same word for greed in verse 3. So the tenth commandment to not covet is the command to not be greedy. This is saying here in verse 5, why should we not practice verses 3 and 4, not only because we're new creatures, but those who practice verse 3 and 4, notice their end. It's not in the kingdom of God. It's not in the kingdom of God. If it's not in the kingdom of God, where is it? They remain in the kingdom of darkness. They remain in the kingdom of the devil. They will spend eternity in eternal damnation under the wrath of righteous God. Those who practice these things give evidence that that's where they're going. So the question is, is who's your daddy? Right? Does your life give evidence that you belong to the Father in following the Son? Or does your life give evidence that you belong to the world? Go to Galatians 5, please. This is a consistent warning that Paul gives, and it's worth noting. Galatians 5, and in verse... 19, you see very similar, it's an extended list, if you will, but it's, there's some similarities here. Verse 19, he says, the deeds of the flesh, the flesh is the unredeemed aspect of us, the fallen aspect of us, are evident. Notice, evident, they're clear, un, unmistakable, which are, first one is immorality, there's our pornea term, impurity, there's our unclean term sensuality, verse 20, idolatry, which is connected to coveting, sorcery, which is the word pharmakeia, where we get drugs from, enmities, now you have, you know, personal hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions is the word for heresies, 21 says envying, drunkenness, carousing, Carousing? (laughs) And things like these. Look at the warning at the end of verse 21. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who, key term, practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul's writing to Christians. And warning his readers of the characteristics of those who won't be enjoying the presence of God in glory. Go to 1 Corinthians 6, please. Almost finished. 1 Corinthians 6. Verse 9. This is the Corinthians, right? The infamous Corinthians. You read through there and you say, man, are these people even saved? But Paul never questions their salvation, which floors me. But he does write this. Verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
Do not be deceived. Which tells you there's people there who want to tell you contrary to what he's writing here. Don't be deceived. Neither fornicators, idolaters or adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor covetous, greedy, or drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, notice, will inherit the kingdom of God. You see, those vices that he puts forward, if practiced, give evidence that you're of the kingdom of darkness, not of the kingdom of God. Who's your daddy? Their daddy is the devil, who's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. Look at verse 11. This is the encouraging one. Such were some of you. I can give a hearty amen to that. I was in those verses, let me tell you. But you were washed. Notice the tense of the verbs here. But you were sanctified, set apart. But you were justified, made right in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and the Spirit of our God. Those who have been washed, those who have been cleansed. Back to Ephesians and we'll close this out here. You and I have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. Colossians 1.13 That's set. Secure. You give evidence of that reality by imitating God. By imitating Christ. By voluntarily, volitionally denying yourself for the sake of the brethren. It's that simple, but it's that impossible. <laughs> but can I say to you and that it is possible? Don't, 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 don't let a false, you don't hear, I'm just, don't let a false view of grace convince you that the, the standard of God has diminished in any sense. That which you and I couldn't accomplish, He accomplished for us in Christ. And now that He has made you a new creature, with new desires and a new heart, a new mind, a new disposition, a new bent, new trajectory, and the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the body of Christ, and the written word of God, there is no excuse which is to encourage you and I that we can walk victoriously in the power of God to abide by what's being commanded here. We can, more often than not, as born-again people, imitate God. And when I fail, 1 John 1, 9 is still in your Bible. <laughs> Isn't it? It is in mine. I about got wore out. I might need to use this Bible. If, you know, mine's about wore out in 1 John 1, 9. Amen? Beloved, this is a happy text. This is not a sad text. You know what? The, the contrary is this. Those in verse 5 who won't inherit the kingdom, what's that say about you? You will inherit the kingdom because you imitate God. You give evidence that you belong to the kingdom. That should just light your fire. 
Doesn't it? A need comes to the church and all these little minds go, I wonder what I can give up to help. It's almost second nature to you. Why? Because you're being trained by the Spirit of God, you're being trained by the text, being trained by practicing, you're being trained by watching Daddy. You're imitating. This is to encourage you, beloved. That you actually, when you do so, are a sweet-smelling aroma to God. Isn't that cool? Can you pick, use your sanctified imagination and picture God going, Boy, those cornerstone folks sure are pleasing. <laughs> sure are pleasing. So let me say it to you this. Imitate God. Look to the cross and see again how much God loves you and now follow that in loving others. Don't follow the world anymore because those who do given the characteristics that they are not of the kingdom. So why would someone who's going to the kingdom of God want to live like they're going to the kingdom of darkness? Don't do that. Rejoice in your salvation. Praise Him. And let's, let's reflect Him to a world that is lost and dying and needs a clear vision, if you will, of our God. And that's by looking at His people. Amen? I better pray. Well, Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for Your grace. And we ask that You would bless this to our hearts. Help us to forsake the old and to put on the new. And help us to imitate you, Father, as we gaze afresh upon the cross and meditate on its glorious truths. And then may we lay down our lives for the brethren. Bless this fellowship, Father. Give them strength and grace to carry on in your name. And, Father... Convince them of how they please you as they serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.